and now we get to um, we get to continue and on our preach series. Um, so we're looking into the Old Testament at the moment. Um, I, I used to uh, when I was when I was doing Glow, our, our kids' work. I used to love explaining um, the Bible as a um, as a book about God, people, and the world. And uh, and whether it's in the Old Testament or whether it's in the New Testament, it's still relevant because we are all people um, who want to get to know God. And we're living in the world, so um, that's that's why we're we're looking at the uh, the Old Testament at the moment and drawing out God's interactions with people. God's character never changes, and so we can apply that um, to to our life as well. And uh, really pleased to have uh, to have Toppy with us again. Um, Toppy, who's uh, down in Essex. Um, and uh, one of the elders down in the church there, and uh, so grateful, Toppy, that you you give up your time um, to to come and speak to us. Been so blessed um, by how you have uh, done that without even physically meeting us. You just seem to uh, be able to to speak into our situation. So I'm going to hand over to you. Thank you, Paul. Uh, thank you, everyone. Um, it's great to be with you uh, again this morning, and to be able to share with you from God's Word. So I'm going to be continuing um, the series that um, you've been going through so far on um, in the life of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, before I go into that, I'm just going to just start off with, with a question, really, to all, to all of us. Um, you know, have you ever struggled with disappointment or discouragement in your Christian walk? Uh, you know, as you've been walking with God, have you got to times when you've kind of maybe felt in a bit of despair or you've kind of felt discouraged with how things are going? Now, if you've, if you've had such feelings, then um, you are in good company. Uh, for, for us here in, um, in South Auckland, where I live, uh, before the lockdown, we used to go out regularly to witness um, in the community, either knocking on doors or going to the market, um, offering people prayer and sharing the gospel with them. And for the first few months, it was uh, pretty hard going. Um, we weren't really seeing any fruit. Then there was this one month, um, Saturday, as we as we went out, when it was, it was it was wonderful. We prayed for lots of people, we shared the gospel, and we saw two people um, who who believed, turned and believed, and um, they they accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And uh, so the next month, uh, we kind of went out, or maybe I went out with great expectation that with what happened the previous month, surely you know some better things are going to happen. But then it was completely different. It was flat um they we we shared the gospel but nobody wanted to have any of it you know we didn't see anybody turn and believe and so i went back home uh, that day feeling uh, quite discouraged feeling quite you know disappointed with the results of going out that saturday and i mean all some of you might as well may also have your own stories of um, disappointment your own stories of discouragement as you've been walking with god I guess um, for the question is, um, how do we as Christians um, deal with these feelings? Um, are these feelings right feelings? And maybe even more importantly, you know, what does God think about us? You know, what are his thoughts towards us when we have these feelings? So as we continue the series today, I hope to kind of shed some light on some questions that we or challenges that we may have in this area. So I'm going to read um, now. Um, it's quite long, uh, 18 verses from 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, I believe that God is going to speak to us even as I, as I read his word today. So Ahab told, Ez told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly, an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. Get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Ebal Meholah, as a prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you and bless you, Lord, for this opportunity to share with one another from your word. And I just pray this morning, Lord, as, uh, as I speak, as I share, Lord, on this issue of um, discouragement, disappointment, how do we deal with it, Lord? I pray that you'll speak to each one of us, Lord, you know, especially those who um, this morning are maybe struggling uh, with feelings of discouragement, disappointment, maybe in, in life, in ministry, Lord. And I just really pray that this word will say something, Father, that will lift them up out of that place. So thank you, Father God, for, for your wonderful word in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so the Bible is, is a really, it's a wonderful book. You know, when I read texts like this, it kind of testifies to me to the enduring truth of the word of God. Because when I think about it, if I were writing a biography of Elijah, you know, with all the, the great things we read about, you know, what this man accomplished through the power of God, I would have left out these first 18 verses of um, 1 Kings chapter 19. But it's 
interesting that the Bible not only speaks about the exploits of Elijah, the exploits of this spot prophet, it also records, you know, this moment of weakness, disappointment and discouragement that he struggled with. I know for me, when I read texts like this, they kind of serve a few purposes. And first of all, they kind they show to me that in God, we have a father who is just as interested in us in our moments of weakness as he is in our moments of strength. You know, just as interested when we're kind of feeling a bit down, a bit low, a bit discouraged as he is when we're out there doing exploits for him. And it also highlights to, to me that these men and women of the Bible that we read about, they were human beings just like us. You know, they went through the same kind of challenges that we go through, but God was still able to use them in remarkable ways. And that gives us hope that God can use us in equally remarkable ways. And in Elijah's case, you know, James sums it up this way. He says, Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruits. You know, these verses kind of, they show us the humanity of Elijah as he deals with this crisis moment in his ministry. And I think there are important lessons for us to learn for our lives um, when we deal with disappointment or discouragement. So we, can't, so we join the story um, here at the beginning of um, chapter 19. You know, there's been an awesome display of God's power on Mount Carmel. You know, Baal has been proved to be a false god and the people have acknowledged, you know, they, they shouted out, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And not just that, you know, after three and a half years of no rain, Elijah has come before the Lord God in prayer. He's prayed and rain has come upon the land again. And, you know, things seem to be at a turning point now in the nation of Israel. And perhaps in Elijah's mind, he's beginning to think or see a time of restoration and revival being at hand in his nation. And so Elijah, yeah, he runs ahead of um, Ahab uh, to Jezreel. But then what happens when he gets to Jezreel and Ahab gets to Jezreel is probably is quite different, quite contrary to Elijah's expectations. You know, Ahab, he gets there, he recounts the events uh, to his wife, Jezebel. And while you might expect that Jezebel, on hearing everything that's happened, on hearing how fire came down from heaven, on hearing that rain has come again after three and a half years, that she would also say, you know what, I've got it wrong. The Lord truly is God. I've been serving false gods all this while. But there's no change in Jezebel. You know, rather than acknowledging that um, Baal is a false god and that the Lord is God, what does she do? She threatens to kill Elijah. Now, I'm not sure she actually wanted to kill him, because if she did want to, she wouldn't have sent a messenger to warn him that she was going to kill him. She probably would have just sent someone to kill him. She probably wanted to get Elijah out of the picture, get him out, out of her way so she could go about and do what she wanted to do. Now, at this point, Elijah's reaction um, to somebody just looking from the outside would probably seem a bit strange. Remember, this is a man who appeared on the scene suddenly and confronted Ahab and said there would be no rain in Israel except by his command. He had experienced miraculous provision when God commanded ravens to provide him with food. You know, he experienced similar provision when he stayed with the widow at Zarephath. You know, he had raised the widow's son to life. And then there's the encounter at Mount Carmel and also praying for rain and rain coming to the land again. And here was a man who had been used by God in mighty ways. 
But all that seemed to count for nothing in the face of Jezebel's threat as was Elijah immediately ran for his life. Now, he didn't just flee. You know, we're told that he ran as far away from Jezebel as possible. He went all the way. You know, he was in Israel. And we're told he ran all the way to Beersheba, which was kind of like the southernmost tip of Judah. But even that wasn't far enough for Elijah. He left his servant there and then he continued um, into the wilderness. He, he left this, the promised land that God had given to his people. So in a way, this is actually more than Elijah just fleeing from, from, from Jezebel, fleeing from this threat. It was kind of Elijah giving up his calling as a prophet of God to the nation. And you know, so for us, um, have, have you ever been at that point where you've just wanted to throw in the towel? You know, maybe God has called you to pray for salvation of a loved one and you've prayed for many years. And, you know, sometimes you kind of feel that, yes, I, you know, there's been a good time of prayer and you feel that something is going to happen, but nothing happens and you want to give up. You know, maybe you've at, at work, you know, you've, you've summoned up the courage to share the gospel with a work colleague. And in your mind, you've kind of you've, you've presented the facts of the gospel really well. But then you kind of just hit a brick wall and they don't want to know. I know maybe, you know, God has called you to a ministry. You've labored in that ministry for so long. And maybe you've seen a bit, a, a few glimpses of, of, of fruit, but no lasting effect of your ministry in people's lives. And now you're at the point where you want to give up. And I think we can all get to that point. And often the feeling of disappointment and discouragement we get when we're in those places is compounded as well by a feeling of failure. You know, so we kind of maybe feel that I've let God, I've let God down. And this is, I believe, how Elijah felt. You know, in his own eyes, he kind of saw that he had failed. Um, in, in chapter 19, verse 4, he says, But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a brooch and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. You know, he saw that I've done all this ministry, Lord, but I'm no better than those who have come before me. Nothing has changed in this nation. I've, I've failed. I, I give up, Lord. You know, take my life. And what caused Elijah to get to this point? And I think in that statement he made there, I think we, we see a bit of um, maybe a flaw in his thinking that brought him to that point. You know, at some point, I think in Elijah's mind, it kind of stopped being maybe so much about God, about being used, being called by God, and about Elijah and the fact that Elijah had done stuff, but Elijah was not seeing the results. You know, he was not seeing the results that he expected. You know, he thought, surely no rain for three and a half years, great demonstration of God's power, that things would change, things would happen. But what he expected hadn't happened. And I think he saw his ministry as maybe a bit of a failure that he hadn't achieved what he set out to achieve. And you get that same sense in later on in verse 10, where he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. Now he had gone about his calling with great zeal, but in his eyes, nothing had changed. You know, he probably thought or saw that the nation was probably in a worse state than it had been when he started his ministry. He felt alone. He felt that he was the only one left. And so we sometimes can get into this place where Elijah was in when we start seeing things 
from our perspective and not seeing things from God's perspective. You know, we can get to that place where we begin to look results after our own understanding rather than seeing things the way God sees them. And we, get, we can get so caught up in that place that we fail to see things around us that contradict the narrative that's playing out in our minds. Because the thing is that Elijah was not the only one left. Remember, he had an encounter with Obadiah and Obadiah told him how he had hidden a hundred prophets in caves to keep them away from Jezebel. So counting Obadiah and the hundred prophets, there were at least 101 other people that Elijah knew about who still served God. And yes, Elijah was zealous, but could he be more zealous for the Lord's name and honor than the Lord himself? And ultimately, who is the one who measures success in ministry other than God himself? Had God called Elijah to be better than his ancestors? Why had he called Elijah to be a prophet and to walk with him in a place of obedience? And I think that's what happens. You know, when God, what God asks for us is obedience. You know, we hear, we go and we do. But what comes out of it ultimately is up to God. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one that gave growth. The growth didn't come from me. It didn't come from Apollos. It came from God. So going back to my example story at the very beginning, you know, we go out and we share the gospel once a month, but we go out in obedience to the call to make disciples. We share, but it's ultimately the Holy Spirit that does the work of regeneration in a person's life. When we pray for people to be healed, we pray in obedience, but it's God who heals, not us. And I think we really need to get hold of this, that God works through us. The results come from God. And that's, I think, one thing that helps us to maybe avoid falling to that place of discouragement and to kind of help us deal with it when we, are, when we do feel discouraged. Now, does this mean we shouldn't expect results? No, it doesn't. I think we always act in expectation. By the same time, we understand that the power to transform, the power to heal, the power to bring about lasting change only comes from God. And I like the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 to 9. He says, now we have this treasure in, jars, in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God, not from us. The power is from God. It's never from us. And then Paul says, because of that, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Because we recognize that the treasure is not from us. The power, the extraordinary power inside of us ultimately comes from God. And so later on, he says, so we do not focus on what we see. We don't focus on the results or the lack of results that we see. Rather, what we focus on is the unseen. We keep our minds fixed on God. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And then we have to look at as well, you know, how does God respond to Elijah? How, how does God respond how can, when we go through these situations? I think there's a lot we can see there. Now, the first thing that is that God cares for us, even in our moments of weakness and discouragement. If you know, the first thing that God does is that he doesn't try to fix Elijah. You know, Elijah is at a point of physical and mental exhaustion, which in some ways may have contributed to his state of mind. So we need to keep that, um, uh, we need to keep that in mind. And the first thing that God does is that he cares for him. He allows him to rest. He sends an angel to give him food and drink. 
And this is instructive to, to those of us who, like me, many times we want to fix things. And so the first thing when somebody comes to us with a problem is that we want to come up with a solution. And sometimes caring for the person, listening, um, empathizing is more important than first trying to fix the problem. Then the second thing that God does is to recommission Elijah. You know, Elijah had given up on ministry, but God tells him that it's not over as he sends him to anoint Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha. And in doing this as well, you know, God changes Elijah's worldview because these three men were used by God in bringing judgment on the house of Ahab, on Jezebel, and also on the nation of Israel. So everything going on, you know, God did see, you know, he saw the atrocities that were being committed and he was going to judge. And in changing Elijah's worldview, he also lets Elijah know that he's not the only one, that there were still 7,000 people in Israel who had not bowed down to Baal. So we see that God, um, he, he cares, he encourages, and he changes the outlook, the perspective of his prophet Elijah. And he sends him back into the prophetic ministry that he had called him into. So at different times in our Christian walk, we will face challenges and we can get into moments of despair and discouragement. And many times, I think, like in the case of Elijah, you know, these come about because of our expectations, which sometimes don't line up necessarily with the expectations that God has in certain situations. Or we don't see things from the perspective from which God sees them. And so we view things as failures, even when they're not failures. You know, you share a word with some, somebody, nothing happens, and you see, you feel you failed. But actually, you don't know what that seed you've sown is going to do in the life of that person. And, you know, being disappointed, being discouraged, having these feelings is not a problem. I think the problem sometimes is when we kind of stay in that place and wallow a bit in that place. And I think the way to deal with these feelings is not to run from God or run from ministry. The way to deal with this is to run to God because God cares for us as we see when he cared for Elijah. You know, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. God does care. And so we need to press in. You know, we need to draw close to him. And I think it also calls for honesty between with, with God as well. You know, to be able to just come to him, he's a loving father, and tell him that, God, this is how I'm feeling right now about this situation. Now, remember that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus Christ, he can, he sympathizes with us. He understands the kind of things we go through because when he walked here in this world, he went through similar things himself. You know, and also calls for honesty within the church, you know, to be able to share with brothers, share with sisters that, you know what, this is where I am. You know, I'm, I'm disappointed, I'm discouraged. And to be able to draw strength, draw encouragement from our brothers and sisters. And I think as a church as well, it means we also have a responsibility to create that environment where people can be honest, can be vulnerable with their feelings without feeling guilty and without feeling ashamed. And so if you're in that place today where you're feeling a bit discouraged, a bit dis depressed, disappointed, you know, can I invite you now? I'm going to pray. Can I just invite you to lift your eyes and, and look to God? You know, you might want to voice out some words yourself and tell God that this is exactly where I am, Lord. 
and I just need your help. I'm coming to you. I'm casting my cares on you because I know, I trust, I believe that you care for me. And I believe that God wants to heal some disappointed hearts um, today. And I believe for some of you, maybe you've left a ministry and God wants to recommission you and send you out again and say, you know what, (laughs) you're not done yet in that ministry that I called you to. I think that God wants you to look beyond what you can see and focus on Jesus and focus on the unseen, focus on the eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you for this morning, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for um, just how you kind of um, draw us to yourself and how you um, bring us to a point of just understanding more about you, more about how you deal with us, Lord, in this story that that we've read today about the life of Elijah. And I just want to pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, especially those, Lord, who maybe are still going through maybe feelings of discouragement and feelings of disappointment. And I pray that today, Lord, they will know your love. They will know your nourishment, Lord. And I pray that they will know your healing as well, Lord, that you would heal those hurts, heal those pains, mighty God. And for those that um, you want to recommission today, Lord, to go out and go back to that ministry, I pray, Father, that... um, you know, their ears will be open to hear your voice, that you will speak to them, Lord. You will, you will tell them exactly what it is that you want them to do, the way you told Elijah exactly what it is that you wanted him to go and do, mighty God. And as a church, Lord, I pray that we will create that atmosphere, that environment where we can be ourselves, where we can go to our brothers or to our sisters and say, you know what, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling discouraged. I'm feeling alone. And we can receive that the love, the support, the encouragement that we need, Lord. So I just want to thank you and bless you, King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you because you are such a good God. Thank you because you are such a caring God who looks after us even when, you know, we feel that it's all done, it's all over, and there's nothing more that we can do. But yet you still look after us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Toppy. That was so, so good. You, you managed to pack so much into, uh, into a short space of time. I would, I'd encourage anyone to, um, to take the time to listen back to that. There is so much in there um, for each and every one of us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for your goodness that never fails us. It never fails us. It's so amazing to, um, to be able to come close to a God like this and uh, I'd encourage you to to continue to press into that um God is a is a God whose attention is always always on us um but sometimes in life we may we may be dealing with the disappointments and the discouragements other times um we may have other people on our heart um to to help and and to encourage and and I'm confident that in in the midst of this there will be people that God has brought to the heart of, of some of you, um, some of the church family that, that you want to, uh, you feel you should help or you should reach out to. So I'd encourage you to do that. Reach out, get in touch with people. And the same, if you are if you are struggling with, um, with some of the things that have been mentioned um, this morning, please do reach out um, to people around you, to friends, um, church family, to, um, to the leadership team. Um, and we, would, we would love um, to help you and to support you and together, go towards God um, in these things. I'd really encourage you um, to do that.
that's about it, really. Um, <laughs> except to say, we we are going to uh, we'll be back here at um, at ten fifteen next Sunday. But until then, see you soon.